0: to share with you a message today or have been all week, and then last night we decided we decided to punt that until next week because we have a special thing that I feel God just kind of brought to us, and we want to let you hear a story and talk through some things that you have not heard and I want to set it up with this much so it 's all about the man here standing with me or sitting here with me. His name is Ken, and he is from Kenya. And we have, we have uh, yeah, the country was named after him, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and he has been one of our missionaries we have supported here at our church for over six years. Yes, please. Six years or so, um, many thousands of dollars, uh, well, thousands every year. And so we, we have a relationship, but we have never really gotten to know him. And so, as many of you know, Kristen and Kristen Tessing and my wife Kim Park went to Africa a couple of months ago or so, and they were able to spend time with Rita Beach, who we have many of you have known, um, is one of our missionaries as well. But then also, Kristen took a ten-hour bus ride along with a friend that loves the Lord and is a close friend of hers from Salida, and they went. Uh, 10 hours or so over to Kenya and spent some time with Pastor Ken and got to know him and came back and reported to us, oh, his what his work is is amazing and all these things. And I told him maybe someday, you know, he should find a way to come over here. We'd love to have him come to our church and talk with him and all that. And then roughly about a week ago, uh, Kristen got an email from Ken saying, I'm coming like in the next two days. We're like, Whoa, well, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so... <laughs> so he got here Wednesday, I think Wednesday, just a few days yes. ago, probably even still a little bit jet-lagged. We did not know he was coming or plan on that, but it's a, it's a pretty special deal. So that is why we decided, you know what, I've worked hard on this message, but we'll punt that till next week. And we've got to let him tell his story. So will you welcome, he's already up here, but welcome Ken to the Thank stage. You. Thank you. Thank you. And then Chris So, and with Kristen's uh, experience, we're going to just sit here together and talk through this. There are no notes on the paper, so we don't, are on the table, we don't know where we're going with this, but we want to just let the Holy Spirit guide us and talk through some of the things that we got to enjoy over at their house. Kristen and Matt had the mission team over, and we were able to sit and talk last night right. uh, with Ken, and so Ken, how about this? As we get started... Uh, there are so many neat things, but how about this? Would you begin by telling the story of how... Well, let, let's do this first. Let's put on the screen where Kenya's at. I think we have that. Okay, so some people don't even know where Kenya's at, but there it is on the east coast of Africa. You live in the town...
1: My town is known as Nakuru. Nakuru. Yes, Nakuru is uh, 153 kilometer from Nairobi, and uh, we are in the Rift Valley. Rift Valley Province.
0: Okay. Right. And um, you speak Swahili and obviously English as well. Yes. Any other languages?
1: Uh, We speak Swahili. Swahili is the main language that every Kenyan knows. And then uh, English, we call it uh, the second language. And then we have our mother tongue. We have different tribes in Kenya. We have like 42 tribes in Kenya. And uh, I am Luo, and uh, I am married to my wife, who is a uh, kikuyu. Yes.
0: <laughs> you got a co- that? A good
1: combination. Yeah.
0: And, and in a general sense, Kenya is a fairly poor country, probably, compared to, yeah. for sure, America. Yes. But where you are at is ev- okay so um, Nakuru is, is a fairly poor country, if I understood what you told me last night right. appropriately— but Ken, Ken spends most of his time in a dump, a literal, literal dump. So let's start there and talk about how it came to be that you spent time in the dump. You were f- a, a worship pastor, yes. and, and we'll come back to that. But tell us, how did you then first get involved in the dump?
1: Okay, it all started like this. In 2004, a friend of mine who was working with the Life Ministry Organization, they were going to visit the dam site in our town. And so he invited me to accompany the, them to the dam site. And so I was excited about it. And uh, we went with the team, and my wife was also with me. And uh, when we went there, we just had a wonderful time. Uh, we were not able to get into the dam site at that time because uh, at that time there was insecurity. So we went into a field just outside the dump site uh, where we had our equipments, the sound equipments, the music equipments, and also with us, we had some, some uh, supplies with us. We had some clothes, we had some uh, b- loaves of bread, and juice, which uh, we later shared with the people after sharing with them the love of God, the word of God. So after sharing the word and uh, some of these people from the dam site gave their lives to Jesus, then we later give th- gave them the supplies. We gave them the loaves and the juice, and we shared together, and also gave them the clothes. And then uh, according to the plan by the guys from the life ministry, we were supposed to go again the next month. And so I was excited because of what I saw, and uh, I got the passion to start ministering to these people And uh, I just fell in love with the people that I saw, despite the way they were looking, uh, despite the way they were clothed. Some of them, their shoes, their shoes were not matching. Their clothes uh, were like uh, tattered, and uh, some of them were dirty, they were oily, some were not uh, looking good, but I just fell in love with them. And uh, so I was excited to hear the leader of the Life Ministry team saying that the next month, in 2004, we are going to go back then again to these people. And so I waited. And as the days uh, approached, then these people said they are canceling everything. We are not going again to these people. And then I was like, what? And we had already told them we are going. Something inside me just pushed me and said, Ken, you have to do something. Because the people are waiting at the dump site. So they will be not happy so, if so, we don't go.
0: So to, um, help people understand, why are people living at the dump site? Okay,
1: people are living in the dump site because of uh, poverty in our nation. The level of poverty is high. Most of us Kenyans, we are living on one dollar in a day. You can imagine. So in our town, it's like we have a three quarter of the town live in poverty. We live in slums, some in the dump site, and other places. And then a quarter of the town, this is what we call the high class. Yeah. So like if you go to the dump site, most of the people are coming there because they have no other place to go. Some of them like the lady who is in charge in, in the dump site now she's called Lucy she came to the dump site because she was kicked out of her house after the death of the husband she was kicked of, out of her house because she could not pay her rent so she had nowhere to go and a friend of her told her there is a place for her and when she followed the friend she found herself in the dump site the dump so site
0: okay so, so they, because they literally are living there with little shanties or, or small little makeshift homes yes. and then surviving by by recycling plastic or metal that right. they can turn around and sell again that right. they find in the dump.
1: Yes. Correct? At the dump site they live in shanties or we call them structures but to them these are homes. To us they may be structures but to them they value their structures because that is the place where they can lay their heads. Yeah. So when Lucy went to the dam site and started living there, she now became like my contact person with these people. Initially I could not access the dam site, but through Lucy I started going deep into the dam site and ministering to these people.
0: We have some pictures. Uh, is this Lucy? No,
1: no, this is just another lady that stays. Oh. This is one of the structures there. Okay, that's kind All of right. typical. Yes, yes. This okay. is now one of the structures This is one of the the children. Oh, the picture (laughs) is the photo. This is one of the pupils in our school at the dump site. We have sixty-seven children at the dump site, and this is one of them. Uh, The clothes they are wearing that you see that are clean are clothes that we brought to them, and we told them, despite being despite living in the dump site, you are supposed to be clean. So we are trying not only to give them Christ and to change their minds, but we also want them to live like any other human being. We want them to live like us. Can you say amen? Amen. So this is Gloria. That is Gloria. And this is uh, when she was in Kenya together with a friend, when you gave us the supplies, everybody was happy about the supplies.
0: So we're going to talk about that in a moment. Um, but before we get there, let, let's help people understand. If you told me, if I understood you correctly, there are about 15,000 people. 1,500. 100. 1500, 1,500 people living in the dump. Yes. 1,500. Yes. And, and uh, it was very dangerous at the beginning because kind of anarchy and just lawlessness. Right. But it has right. improved now partly because of your ministry. And right. so now it is safer yes. for whether it be Kristen or any of us to come. Yes. And you just spend a lot of time there. Right. But w- then t- the the 67 children. That became an issue. You have a school now for sixty-seven yes, children, yes, we have, and that is because you saw these parents going into the dump site to f- scavenge whatever they could find—plastics or something like that—and little children following them and sometimes getting hurt. Talk right. about how that turned into a school.
1: Okay, four years ago, four years ago, because I've been going to the dump site since two thousand and four. Then I've been following their steps every now and then. I've been seeing what they they do. I've been seeing how the parents move with their children into the dump. And uh, I've been seeing what the children have been going through. So one day, as I was just at the dump site, something happened that uh, struck my eyes. One of the boys is is called Mwangi. Mwangi is a... a Kikuyu name, you may not understand, but Mwangi is a Kikuyu name in Kenya. Mwangi used to follow the, the mother. The mother was um, pregnant or expectant, and so they used to move with Mwangi. Mwangi is uh, around three years old. He used to move with the mother into the dam site. And then one day, as uh, they were moving in the dam site, something happened. There was a fire in the dam site, and the fire stopped. But uh, in the dump site, when there's a fire, the fire can stop on top, but inside the garbage, the fire is still on. So as Mwangi was walking with the mother, he stepped on the top layer, and the feet went inside, and it was burned. It was a very ugly scene, because there was nothing that we can do. But fortunately, he was saved, and... um, we did some uh, first aid and worked on him uh, and later something started building in me what can I do to stop these children from following their parents into the garbage and so an idea came to me because a, there was an old structure within the dam site that was supposed to be used as a fertilizer uh, making plant but it didn't uh, work so I decided that I will take these children because after Mwangi being burnt. There was rain at some time, and uh, one of uh, the children was also with the parents, and uh, because of the flooding, the garbage was on top of the water, and uh, as the children were playing, they thought this is just the normal garbage. Then one of them went deep inside, and when he went, it started to sink into the water. Fortunately, it was saved. After the second incident, I decided that I will not allow these children to be following their parents. So I had to take a step of faith and uh, take these children and put them into the structure. I took them and told their parents, "Let us take care of your children as you go with your daily activities scavenging through the Garbage, looking for plastics and anything that is valuable that they can sell. So we took the children into the structure, and we laid down some hardboard and uh, some uh, polythene for them. And uh, that is how we started. And after some times, we looked at each other with Lucy, and we said, how can these children be just sitting here? We have to do something more than this. And so we decided to bring in somebody, like a teacher, who will just be with the children, play with it. The children there and keeping them busy then later we thought how can they just be playing the whole day you know you can hold, you cannot hold children in a place for 10 15 or 30 minutes they will have to do something strange so we <laughs> had to think very fast what are we going to do so that these children may be able to sit here so we decided we are going to start a program whereby we are going to cook them porridge you know porridge So we decided we are going to cook them porridge so that they may be having porridge around 10 o'clock in the morning. And then later we thought, now that we have the porridge and uh, we have somebody to take care of them, what else can we do to make sure that these children are glued into this place? Then we thought, let us bring a blackboard so that the teacher can be doing something with the children on the blackboard. So we brought in a blackboard. Then later, we thought, now we have a blackboard. What can we do next? And then we decided, let us make it a school for these little, little children. So that is how we began a school for 67 children at the dump site.
0: So, so now there are 67 children in the school, and yes, there please. are more that could be, but you have limited funds. Right. And uh, impact... Does not send masses of money, but thousands every year, and we are sixty percent. If I did the math writing, right, sixty percent of their finances uh, come from Impact, and they use that primarily to f- to make the school work by right. um, paying the three people and a cook, th- three four total people.
1: We now four. four. We now have four teachers. They used to be three, but last month we added another one.
0: Okay so four people there and then the supplies and then the food and that's mostly what they do um, with those children and um, the need is huge and we cannot even hardly wrap our mind around let alone fix all of it but then the need becomes once they get beyond the preschool age they have school just like we do um, public school like we do but Ken told me last night that the public school is about an 80 or 90 to 1 ratio teacher to students. So the children get ve- – they mostly sit and just yeah. have to follow along, and, but they never get interaction with the teacher hardly, and it's not very well done. So there is boarding school, a private school that is mostly a Christian school right. that costs roughly, if we figured it out talking last night, about $1,000 a year for one kid to go to that. Well, they would like to have all 67 of the kids now and more go to that. But, you know, obviously 67 times 1,000, that's $67,000 a year right there plus however many more. And, and so we, don't, we can't do that at the moment, but, but that's uh, something that he's working toward. And I asked him, if we gave more money at some point, where would it go? And you said probably to expand the preschool right. because of safety needs because those children, whether it be the fire situation or the drowning situation, those things can happen yes, a yes, lot. Yes. So that's first priority, and there are still many more children that need that help that are just living in things that, I and mean, Kristen saw it. Talk just briefly about what you saw and add to what he has said in terms of how that hit you and you saw the, and, and, and smelled and experienced all that was there. Um,
1: yeah, definitely um, it's a dump. And so flies and pigs um, and people just scrounging through those things and then sometimes eating from it. Um, but the light of what Kennedy is doing, um, it's amazing, his story. And um, I've learned more since he's been here. Um, he's done so much. He's brought order. He's, he's brought um, someone to help with the order. And he's brought safety. And when we were there and we were giving them things, they weren't, like, jumping all over, all over us to get something. They were politely standing there waiting, saying thank you.
0: So if you were here... Um how many months ago was that? A few months ago when we did a special food preparation day, primarily for, um, for uh, uh, Tony, Antonio, um, down in Juarez. And we, uh, we said we need to raise $1,200, or $1,250, I think, was what we needed that day to do that. And so we took a special offering to do that so that we could ship 10,000 meals down to Mexico to help Children and people in Juarez. You, as a church family, gave over six thousand dollars that day, and we were like, "Wow!" So we obviously were able to do a, what was needed for Tony, and we now have some more money sitting there that we're waiting to figure out what to do with. So uh, Kristen took some of that. Can we put that picture there? She took some of those bags of food, which is a slight variation to what we did the assembly line and created out here. But we can do the exact same thing: create these bags. Um, with our connections with people down in Colorado Springs, and take them over there. She took them over there, and the people, Ken said, loved them and wanted to know when is the next batch coming. And, and of course, we don't have a plan yet, but we were talking last night about trying to figure that out, and there are still many logistics to sort out. Getting the supplies to the coast is not so difficult, but getting them from the coast to his place without somebody... Uh, stealing them that becomes an issue sometimes and so we're we're working through all that but i want you to know that because of your generosity what we want to do as a church family is do a double portion of that so maybe approximately 20,000 meals which you know it's not going to fix the problem indefinitely but it would help kennedy can be able to do what he's doing um in a great way and so he's excited about that we're working through that and we want to send a lot more of that food over soon and so we'll we'll let you know about all of that but um Ken's story. So, we, all right, Ken's story is just getting rolling in terms of what he has accomplished and what he has done there. Um, Ken, what? Ken, let's go back to this. Can you start at the beginning of how it is that you got into ministry? Because you didn't—I went to Bible college. Okay. You, you didn't have that opportunity. Right. So, tell us about how you became a pastor. I, I've heard from Matt and others. That's a really <laughs> fun story. Tell us about that.
1: Okay. Yeah. It was in 2002. I was working with a, a church. It is called Charismata. And then uh, I was the praise and worship leader in the church. And then uh, one Sunday after the sermon, the bishop just stood and said, God has spoken to him. hmm <laughs> And when God speaks, you want to hear what the Lord has spoken. And he said, can come forward, then he called another, my, is now my brother-in-law, come forward. We were four guys, and then he said, God has spoken to me to ordain you as pastors, and I was like, what? <laughs> pastor? <laughs> because my area is uh, music, and now here comes the bishop, and he says that the Lord has spoken to him to pray for me to be a pastor. Okay. I, <laughs> I respected him. I obeyed, I honored him, and so I just went there knowing that surely, even if he prays for me, I'll just be a praise and worship pastor. That was all I knew I will be. And so he prayed for us and uh, laid hands on us and um, he said, from now on, you are pastors. And then later after the service, I went to him and told him, sir, that was good, but please let me be a praise and worship pastor because I didn't want to be a pastor of a church or uh, something like that, because the responsibility was, like, huge to me. And uh, so I just did that, and from that time on, uh, I knew I was a pastor, but a praise and worship pastor. And then something happened. Something happened. Later, in 2005, a friend of mine, who was working with us in the ministry, decided that he's opening a church somewhere where we are now located in a place called Kitty. And I said I will support him. Remember that I I didn't want to be a pastor, like I didn't want to pastor a church, and I didn't want anybody to call me a pastor. Because if you called me a pastor, I would look at you with an eye, and you'll wonder, surely, are you a pastor? (laughs) So... (laughs) It was just like that. I didn't like that name, and I didn't want to associate myself with it. And any time somebody called me a pastor, I said, a praise and worship pastor. (laughs) I made sure I was straight, yeah? But when this guy said he's opening a church, and uh, so I decided to go and help him, and uh, we had planned for a four-day open-air meeting before opening the church, and now we had I uh, hired some equipment from another church, and uh, we went on the ground. And the first day, the guy was there, the one that was to be the pastor of the church. He was there. He was very jovial. He was ve- very happy because now we are helping open a church. But the next day, the second day, the guy was missing. <laughs> he went missing. He went to see another pastor in Nairobi. And so I had to take charge. I didn't want to be a pastor, but now I'm taking charge in an open-air meeting. So I had to – I did not preach. I told another guy to preach because I knew <laughs> I'm still not a pastor. So I told another young man to preach, and he preached. Then I thought that the guy will come on the next day. He did not appear during the, the meeting again on that day. And then on Saturday, one day to the launching of the church, In the evening after we've done everything, the guy appeared again, the guy that was to open the church. And he said, tomorrow morning I will be with you. I will be with you because this church must begin. And I said, okay, but something in me told me, Ken, you have to be careful because you've been beaten once, you have to be very careful. So something in me told me, Ken, even as you go home tonight, it was Saturday evening, and we are launching the church tomorrow, and I was still in my church. So I had to go and ask for permission and do the first service, and then I was to come on the other side for the second service or the launch of the church. And so I went and talked to my pastor, and he said there's no problem. And uh, that night on Saturday night, something told me, please make sure you have a sermon. I have never preached but something in me I believe it was the spirit of God told me you have to have a sermon and then I thought what kind of a sermon and then the Lord uh, through his spirit laid in me a scripture that I loved so much that is in Jeremiah 29:11 You all know the scripture it talks about hope in the future and that was the title of my message that day and so I took that scripture went through it and told God I've never preached but tomorrow I have to be ready the next day the guy was missing in action and so i had to preach I preached my heart out and uh, it was like uh, I was just preaching to me because there is hope in the future it was for me it was for me it was just strong in me uh, we had ten people on that day because throughout the week we had uh, like eight people give their lives to Jesus but um, Fortunately, or unfortunately, only one person came that Sunday who was born again during the crusade of the open air. And uh, that is how now I knew that surely the Lord wants me to be a pastor. Because from that day, that is 13 years ago, until now, I'm still going strong, still pastoring the church. And out of that church that we started on that day, we now have over seven other branches that are working under me. So I just want to encourage you, if you are here and maybe you are discouraged, there is hope in the future.
0: For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Amen. That's right. Oh, that is fantastic. So so now you um, live close to the dump, not in the dump, but close by. Yes. And you spend most of your time either in the dump or in the slums, which are close by as well, and also very poor, not quite as poor as the dump. But you spend most of your time doing that. Talk to us, tell, tell our church family, how can we pray for you? Maybe if there's, we've got a few minutes left, maybe there's a story, maybe a young person, like a, a, one of those in the picture, or the young boy who was burned badly, or somebody else who, uh, I know, what I've heard from you, what I've heard very clearly is Ken wants to meet the physical needs of the children and the families there, so that he can share the love of Jesus with them, recognizing that if you just fix their physical needs but don't share Jesus with them, what good has that really done? So he knows that, but he also knows that if I just talk about Jesus and don't help them with their starvation issue or their, hey, I have no place to sleep issue or whatever then they're going to have a hard time hearing the gospel. Is that a fair right, thing? Right. So maybe that brings to, does that bring to mind a story of a family that might be somewhat typical of others that you could just share so that people could understand what those people are going through and what their life is like?
1: Okay, maybe I just want to bring a story of uh, another young man. You remember Celeb? Mm-hmm. Celeb is a young man that uh, is uh, like uh, physically challenged. He lives in the dam site. Is in the school. But uh, Every other school within our town have rejected him. So Celeb is in the dump site together with the family and they cannot access any other school because he's physically challenged. You can imagine you have a son or you have a daughter and this son or daughter is rejected in a school. So we are just keeping this young boy there We are trying all our best that we can to help him, but he's not like these other children because he's challenged. Celeb cannot stand well, and uh, when he runs like other children, he always falls down. Celeb cannot understand what we are teaching the other children, but we have to put him there because of the love of Jesus Christ. Our main goal at the dam site is to make sure that they know about the love of Jesus. And uh, through the love of Jesus, we know that their lives will be changed, not only from the inside, but also from the outside. Brothers and sisters... All I want you to do is to continue to pray for what we are doing in the dam site. And especially, I want to single out this young boy called Celeb because he needs to be in a special school, not in the school at the dam site. You should pray for him. Anytime you pray, just say, Lord, remember Celeb. I thank you.
0: He's
1: about six years old. Yeah, so anytime you pray, just pray for him. And even as you pray for what we are doing, at the I want to just share with you, you can read it later, a scripture that always uh, gives me the strength to continue to serve these people. If you have time, please read Psalms 41. Psalms 41, verse number 1 to 3. When you read that scripture, my brothers and sisters, you will never neglect the people that are needy in your society. The people that are needy in the world. Because God cares about these people. So this is my driving scripture. It keeps me going. Even when things are tough at the dam site, when I look at the scripture in Psalms 41, verse number 1 to 3, I always feel refreshed. And my zeal to serve these people goes to another level. Bear Paul, will you bring your
0: Bible up here? L- let's, let's, we've got a couple of minutes. Let's, okay. let's make sure we read it. Okay. All right. So I need my reading glasses. So I'm going to let you read it. How's yes, that? Yes, All yes, yes. Right. Psalms 41. I can't even see the numbers, let alone the words. Let's let let me do it. Okay. <laughs> I got to stand up. And that I, is that too. All right, where are we at? Psalm. 41. What number is that? <laughs> <laughs> You're good at this. Go ahead.
1: Psalms 41. The Bible says, "Blessed is he who has regard for the weak." And when the Bible says the weak, it means the poor. Praise the Lord. The Lord delivers him in times of trouble. If you care about the poor, if you care about the weak, when you will be in trouble, when you will be in need, the Bible says the Lord will deliver you. Verse number two says the Lord will protect him and preserve his life. When you care about the poor, when you are taking care of them, when you are supporting, like what the church is doing here, anytime they announce that you are giving for the missions uh, and supporting uh, the poor, maybe in the U.S. or any other nation, and you are always stretching forth by hand, the Bible says the Lord will protect him and preserve his life. And then it says he will bless him in the land. You will be blessed in the land. and. Um, Not surrender him to the desires of his foes or your enemies. The Lord will not let you be in the hands of your enemies. So the Lord will protect you. The Lord will preserve your life. It means that God will give you long life under the sun. He will protect you from anything that may attack you, anything that may work against you. And he will bless you. And other people will say that you are surely blessed. And I love that portion, the last portion of verse number two, and not surrender him to the desires of his foes. Verse number three says, the Lord, I love that portion, the Lord will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his bed of illness. When you care about the poor, When you support the projects of the poor, any time you stand with the poor, any time your body is weak, I want to believe that this scripture will work for you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. There are some things that the doctors cannot do, but the God that wrote this word, he can do it. That's right. Amen? Amen. So we have to support the poor. We have to stand with the poor. Let this scripture be also a part of you, like it is a part of me, to keep... You're strong as you also support the poor.
0: Oh, Kennedy, thank you so much. I'm going to ask the band to come. They're going to come in just a moment and lead us in a song. Here, let's thank jump you. up. Here's your Bible. Come, anyway, and, um, and uh, Kennedy's going to help us sing. As we get ready to sing um, Amazing Grace and How Our Chains Are Gone, can, how does that song hit you, and, and why is it special to you?
1: Uh, this song is special to me because it reminds me of where I came from. I was not a good man. If anything, I was one of the people that even my teachers called me a nut. None of my teachers wanted to associate with me in school. I was a troublemaker in my family until that time when Jesus saved me by the grace of God. Amazing grace, how sweet thou sound. grace how sweet thou sound that saved saved a wretch like me I was was lost but now at night